everyone, you know we have another episode of the Chicago Hustle. My guest today is the author of the brand new book, Burnout, Beat Fatigue to Thrive in an Overworked World. We got to talk about all of her experiences that got her to writing this book. So please welcome Anju Jane. You're listening to the Chicago Hustle, a podcast that highlights the struggles, successes, and overall journey of Chicagoans pursuing their passion. My name is Edward Terrace, and I'm a Chicago real estate broker that focuses on understanding the rental and sales market to facilitate the sale of property, along with providing my clients a roadmap to one of the biggest necessities of life, a place to call home. And I'm sitting down with our neighbors to learn about their process, the lessons they've learned, and how they're making an impact. Okay, and we're live. Thank you so much for being on the show. Pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me over. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I kind of just want to start this off right off of the bat because it's so relevant in your life. I mean, early August is when your book, The Burnout, was put out to the public. Is that right? Uh, end of August. Oh, end of August. So Yeah, so, so just two weeks ago, actually. Man, I feel like, I mean, for having a book that's talking about dealing with stresses and burnout, how are you dealing with the stresses of promoting your book? It's tougher than writing a book. So yeah, it's, it's fun. It's exciting, but it's overwhelming as well. Um, uh, talking about stress, yes, it can be stressful because um, there are a lot of critiques outside and, and that's good and bad. So you have to kind of balance it all out and keep your... Uh, head on your shoulders to take everything in stride, the good, the bad, the ugly. So, so it's exciting. And, and that's something that I guess I didn't really think about. You talk about, um, you know, there being critics. critics. When you're publishing a book, uh, I'm assuming that they must be pretty influential to maybe how your, maybe your book performs early on and how it gets exposed. Is that right? Yes, yes. It, it's great to have a solid publisher's back. Um, with you. So my publisher was uh, Penguin Random House and they're awesome to work with. Um, great input, great feedback and really good guidance as to what the market is uh, looking for and how to really uh, convey your messages in very simple, simple words. So, so it has been a great experience from that angle. When you're working with a publisher or just you know, getting your book published in general, what are kind of like some of the stresses or the things that you have to work through that I mean, common folk like myself wouldn't know that you have to deal with? Well, once, once they accept a proposal and once you're part of the team, um, then of course, like any dialogue, there are uh, agreements, there are disagreements. So how do you hash through them, right? Um, as a writer, you may have your own views and very strong ones, but then the publisher or the editor comes and says, no, this wouldn't go well uh, with our readers. So you have to tweak it and you know, come to a common table because you want to work together and uh, kind of make it a win-win for both parties. Wow, that almost reminds me of a artist, like a songwriter and a singer, almost like if somebody has their own music, but then they're going to be putting their music out there, they want to have their, their own voice, but it still has to do well. Yeah, it has to resonate with a larger audience. So, so sometimes that uh, feedback is really valuable because you are working on it from your own perspective and you, know, you have the blinders on. So having somebody play a devil's advocate really helps. 
what do you think is if if you're okay sharing this with us or if you're allowed i don't know how that all works but what do you think was the biggest whenever you've worked with a publisher in the past where they said hey this is it probably be better for this for our viewers but you were kind of seeing it going in a different direction could you kind of share us a story about that so yeah um i had an experience so uh, in this book burnout, uh, I had a framework that I wanted to put forward, uh, which my editor suggested may not be received very well. And uh, so at the end of the day, we both wanted to publish the book. I said, okay, let's think about it. How else we can convey the same matter, but in a different box, different label. So I think we worked together and we came up with another framework with the gist is the same, just the look and feel is different. And that's what. Uh, is in the current book so so it's 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 a dialogue it's a discussion and uh, you know the editor values your opinion and likewise you have to value the editor's opinion because he or she is out in the game and you're just a writer you you have the thoughts but you do not know how it would be received so having that sounding board is extremely helpful and when you say framework i guess what what would that mean so um I have a very strong academic background, uh, being a psychologist uh, and dabbled into fields of anthropology, sociology, and then connecting all that to the world of business. Um, I have a different perspective on how I look at human behavior or our interactions with each other. So I, I like to always work with a frame of reference or a framework or a model uh, to start out with. So if I say, Edward, you got to be exercising daily. Uh, you may say, yeah, I know that, but I still don't do it. I don't have the time. And then I give you a framework to latch on to that this is why you need to be doing it. You know, to, to, to be productive, to be able to handle the daily hassles or the daily hustles, you need to have that energy in you. And then you connect that exercise to that framework. You say, yeah, that makes sense. Unless I have the energy and the fuel in me, I cannot really go to the next level. So, so that's what I call a framework, something to latch on to, and then all the strategies tied to that, and that makes sense to the reader. Okay, so framework is, is almost the why to the action that you're you recommending. That. You could call that, yes. Okay. You so like, read the book to understand it more, I guess. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We'll we'll buy the book and which for anybody that doesn't uh, know, uh, burnout can be. You have it on Amazon, right? Is there anywhere else that people can find it? Not that yeah. other people shop anywhere other than Amazon when they're going online. <laughs> Monopoly. For real. That's awesome. But you know, for anybody, whenever I'm interviewing somebody that looks to solve a problem. Um, they have a passion, they have a passion for something specific and your passion would be, you know, helping people how it goes. I, I know there's a certain, uh, quote that you use, but essentially being productive in an overworked world. Um, most of the time when they're solving a problem, it might be a problem that they may face in their life. Mm -hmm. Is that true for you? Uh, partially I would say. So being in a corporate arena for close to two decades, I mean, I've seen several leaders and several employees go through it. Um, so I've been a passive observer and trying to do my own part in, um, you know, fixing the problem for the company I worked for. Uh, but yes, there was a point when I went through it. Uh, I didn't know I was going through a burnout till a physician said, you got to take it easy, you're burning out. 
and and the reason I visited a physician in the first place was for some health issues which were undiagnosable there was nothing to find all the tests and all but then they eventually said it's stress it's extreme stress and based on my history of how my how I worked that's what they concluded and I think that was a good wake-up call and uh, that's what really motivated me to write about it. So, so yeah, it was others' experience as well as my own experiences that kind of sealed the deal for me. And what, what company was this? I didn't catch that. Um, I worked for a company called Caterpillar. That's where my entire career has been. Oh. Okay, so you worked at Caterpillar for an extensive amount of time before becoming an author then? Uh, my first book came out when I was still a full-time a professional at Caterpillar. It came out end of 2016. And uh, to write Burnout, I really had to focus fully on this. So uh, I left Caterpillar in 2017. When you wrote your first book while you're working full-time at Caterpillar, and then you're also writing a book, when did you, and it's kind of coincides with, with burnout and uh, scheduling time for things in your life, I'm sure. Uh, where did you find the time? That sounds intense. Um, yeah, and that's why I burned out. So I was working, I was uh, working full time, and I had started my own company as well on the side. So my vacation days and my weekends were dedicated to those, um, to, to that charter. And uh, that's when I burned out. And that's when I was told to slow down. And uh, the action I took was to shut down my company. Um, so which I still feel terrible about, but maybe someday I'll get back to that. So when you're passionate about something, I think you do find the time, uh, you squeeze it out uh, and just have to be uh, cognizant about what you, the cost you're paying, I guess. So, so when we are chasing our dreams, chasing our aspirations, we forget that we also have to slow down to win that marathon. And those who understand that, if you can sprint, I think they do really well, but others fall on the wayside. Yeah, I appreciate how... You said if you're passionate about something, you'll find the time for it um, because there's been a lot of things in, in my life where it was just, I really felt like I was burning out and it just, but now I'm definitely exhausted, which I want to dive into this a little bit later, but I'm definitely, I'm like right now I'm exhausted. I could take a two hour nap right now, <laughs> um, but I'm super passionate about what I'm doing right now. So it's like, I've been finding the time for it for the people that are are burning out or they don't feel like they have the time for it because they're just they don't have that passion what would you tell them passion for what they're doing what their mainstream what their career is because i'm sure a lot of people struggle with making a change from something they've been doing for a while that they're not passionate about correct, correct. you know change is scary um absolutely and it kind of throws you out of your comfort zone and we all like to be in a comfort zone right so if your burning platform is significant, if you know the pain of doing something that you're not passionate about is pulling you down, it's impacting your personal life, your own performance, then it's time to take a hard call. I mean, you're solving business problems out there, but if you can't solve your personal problems, I don't know how good a business problem solver you are to begin with. So I think um, Beyond everything, our personal life, our personal well-being is extremely important because that is an antecedent or a precursor to everything in life, right? Whether it's a success, whether it's a performance, those promotions, those lofty goals or what have you. So attending to that is extremely important. 
And the only way you will or I will change is when there is a pain, right? We, we go see a doctor only when our disease has become terrible, right? Common cold, yeah, we'll deal with it, take a Tylenol, whatever. But when it becomes really significant, so much so that you cannot go to work, then you say, I better go see a doctor, right? The pain is significant. That's the time you take that initiative to go see a doctor. And that holds true for a personal life across the board. So if, I, if I'm not passionate about, there would come a time when the water will go over my head and say, oh God, I just hate going to work. I don't want to be doing this. And that's the time you'll say, I better think, take a step back and think, what do I want in life? What is the purpose? And I talk about that, you know, for each of us, that purpose becomes very, very important. So for you, the purpose is connecting or showcasing your Chicago land to your prospective buyers. For me, it's making an impact differently, uh, either through my work or through my writings. And that's what keeps us more, keeps us motivated. Now, the beauty or, or an important part of chasing our goals is that if you're passionate about your work, somewhere you've got to be passionate about your well-being as well. Because when you're passionate about your well-being, you will find the time to take care of yourself. So, so that's extremely important. And uh, that's where you have to be very intentional and uh, deliberate about making that happen. Yeah, it's, uh, I, some people would call that the, your why. Like you have to have a very strong why in your life. And when you're talking about having your your personal situation or your well-being taken care of so that you can excel in your business. Uh, I think that's super important because I talk to people all the time. One of the mortgage lenders that I work with, he talked about, he's like, when, when I was running, when I was, he was a, um, he does like marathons and long distance stuff. But he said, when I was doing the best for my well-being, I was running every single day and spending more time doing that. I did better in my career than I ever did. Yes, yes. I mean, think about it. If you're exercising, let's take that for example. It's it's uh, close to all of us. Um, it releases endorphins, which are the positive neurotransmitters or the positive chemicals in our body that tells the brain to think differently. You start seeing positivity around you versus negativity. Um, you eat right, uh, you sleep well, you have dopamine, you have serotonin. All these are mood enhancers. And when you feel held happy, when you feel uh, on top of the world, then you are definitely in a growth mindset and more open to learning more open to uh, what we call at work collaborating listening to others being present so all those things are extremely extremely important and uh, why wouldn't we want to do that and you said something you said growth mindset mm -hmm. do you feel like people are just they weren't taught to be in a growth mindset or there's something along with their work that just causes them to go in the reverse or away from it? Well, there's a lot of academic research on this subject. So uh, I will just scratch the, the subject. I'm not an expert in that, but being a psychologist, this term is often used. Um, yes, right from childhood, we are very focused on our grades, very focused on our performance. We forget about the process of learning, right? And you come to work, it's the same story. You're so worried about how you're going to be perceived, what's your performance, how are you going to be measured, are you going to be promoted or not? So we, we channel our energies in a very different way 
versus if it was a free flow. And I understand you always can't have free flow. You need to have a structure built around. But I think while the end result is important, the how is equally important, how you get there. So it, so the organizations or the environment can try to promote that, but the, at the end of the day, it's the onus rests on us, on each of us, on individuals to say, what do I want to get out of all this experience? You know, how is it enhancing me as an individual, as a person, rather than just focusing on, on you know, how am I doing at work? Because part of our lives is also relationships with our family, with our friends, with our communities, with our society. So I think we need to figure out a strategy so we are happy in all those realms versus in just one. And, and oftentimes we focus on work, which really doesn't equate to happiness elsewhere. Yeah, I, to yeah I, I totally agree. I know uh, I do a way better job taking care of other people when everything in my life is taken care of. Otherwise, nobody's getting anything. Nobody's advancing with me uh, in their life I, at that time. <laughs> Every time I sit, uh, sit in a flight and they say, you know, when the, when the safety briefing is done, put your own oxygen mask first before you help others. And, and I think that's a very good reminder across the board in our lives. Yeah, you may call it being selfish, uh, but not really. At the end of the day, if you are taken care of, you can take care of others in your environment. Yeah, and you have a very interesting perspective where, I mean, you're, you're, you're an author and you wrote this book, Burnout, from your experiences of burning out, what you saw at Caterpillar when you were working there. Um, but let me correct, um, you know, Caterpillar, um, great company, and it wasn't that there were many people burning out there, but through my experience, even at Caterpillar, I got to see other people in other industries. And in the book, I talk about several leaders who cut across different industries. There are physicians, there are, of course, corporate leaders, there are students, um, there are teachers. Um, so, so burnout is across the board. Um, so not necessarily one organization's problem. Totally, yeah. It's it's absolutely in in, in every company. It's 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 all over. I mean, um, any other company will have it for sure. Um, with your experience of you know you having a PhD, working in psychology, uh, what what do you think was like the best thing for you from having that academic experience to writing this book? Like, how do you think it translated the most? Oh, I think uh, all my writings I give all the credit to my academic upbringing. Um, I was, I think academia provided me a solid um, foundation to understand things. I talked about a framework, right? Um, I, I love to have a framework in, in all my writings. And I think my frameworks or the perspective of thinking all came from, from my um, academic work. And so I owe it a lot, owe a lot to that. And that theoretical background um, you know, academia is all about theories and testing and experiments and so forth. I'm able to connect the dots from that to the real world to see that, yeah, what we talk about in theoretical terms or what psychology is all about, it is right out there in front of you in real world. And it's so important to think that what um, the researchers are doing in universities, that has a direct bearing on what we do in the real world out, out in corporate arena. Yeah. And you, you've talked about, you know, your, essentially your why is, you know, wanting to make an impact on people. Now you not only do that through writing, but you also do it through speaking. Mm -hmm. Do you have a preference on like 
whether you're speaking or writing, what, what do you like better? Or do you feel like they go hand in hand? I think they go hand in hand. Uh, to me, uh, if you can write something, then your thoughts are clear. Um, if you're just talking, sometimes you don't even realize what you're saying. So, so writing to me kind of allows you to really test your thinking. If you can't articulate something, your thoughts are not clear. And uh, writing a book has kind of uh, shed ample light uh, on myself that when I think this is what I want to write and when I start to write, it doesn't make sense. So um, they go hand in hand. Uh, I think a mix of both is important. They validate each other. So I don't have a preference, but I enjoy both. Do you have any uh, speeches coming up for promoting your book uh, in Chicago here? Or have you uh, already done them? There is there's work in progress. I don't have the dates yet. Okay. I'm happy to share with you when that time comes. Yeah, please do, because I would love to attend. Yes. Um, uh, and also the LinkedIn, my LinkedIn is current. So any engagements I have will be put out there. Um, I sometimes tweet about my engagement. So yeah, I'm trying to do all the right things. That's great. Promoting yourself. You got, it's got to be done for sure. So, I mean, for what most people don't know and which I don't even understand because uh, I don't write it all, but um, when you're writing a book, you're spending that weeks, months, probably years very intensively putting your thoughts and your learning experiences onto paper. You're spending a lot of time alone. Mm -hmm. How do you, how did you deal with being alone for such a long time? Cause I feel like that's gotta be a battle in itself. You're absolutely right. I think that was one big learning I had. Um, I think writing can be very lonely. Um, and, uh, I didn't anticipate it when I, uh, left my full-time career. Um, but I realized that it was tough. Uh, you can motivate yourself to write. Uh, that's not an issue, but you do not have that interaction or that learning or that sounding off to somebody. I think the only thing at least that kept me going was I would write outside of the home. I would pick areas where I would see a lot of people. Uh, Starbucks was one of my favorite haunts. Um, I would, I was also interviewing a lot of people for the book. As I mentioned, there are several interviews in the book. So having conversations with them and through them meeting other people. So I tried to figure out how to uh, be with people uh, and keep myself sane in that process. So yeah, you have to come up with your own little strategies to keep your sanity in check. So do you feel like for anybody pursuing something where they're going to be spending a lot of time by themselves working on something very specific like that would be you know, changing scenery, meeting with people once in a while. So you kind of get some sort of. Absolutely. And, and there is uh, something that I didn't know before, but as I did research for this subject on burnout, being out in the nature is extremely healthy. Um, you know, soaking in the sun, writing outside under a tree, of course, make sure there are no bugs around, but, but being amidst nature is really helpful. And uh, I know Chicago doesn't offer you very many months for that, but whenever, wherever you are, I mean, um, changing a scenery is extremely, extremely healthy. And if you can do it outside, nothing like that. Yeah. I mean, with today's society, uh, I mean, myself, I'm inside all day. I'm in my car. I'm in my house. I'm in, I'm in other houses. Yeah. Um, 
I should probably sit outside myself. <laughs> yes. So if you're in your own house and you're not doing recording, do try to soak up sun. Uh, vitamin D is extremely important for our moods and well-being. Actually, there is ample research on that. So um, those of us who are not getting enough vitamin D, it's time to get some supplements. Oh, sorry, my uh, other camera went out of focus here. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, that's. I think that's great advice for anybody, uh, along with you know, that can go hand in hand with being active and being outside. Correct. You could take a walk outside as part of your exercise. A lot of people have dogs. Uh, that kind of forces you to get outside as well. Great. Well, I kind of want to go back a little bit to the premise of your, of your book and, you know, how you want to help people beat fatigue. So can I tell you a dirty little secret? Sure. I am exhausted. Every day, as of recently, I've just been, you know, tired, uh, feeling burnt out myself, feeling like I can't get enough sleep. So like for someone that's in that situation, like myself right now, what, what would you tell someone if they came to you with that? So I would tell someone and you in this case, um, tell me what is causing the exhaustion? Is it your work? Is it some other burden you have? Is it just physical exhaustion or you're facing mental and emotional exhaustion as well? So you got to help me. I'm going to ask you 20 questions. Oh, great. Well, that's probably a good thing. Uh, so I, I definitely train uh, very physically hard. So I train in, in martial arts during the day, in the middle of the day when I'm not you know, meeting with clients. But a lot of times I'm, you know, I'm, I'm available essentially all the time. Like if a client reaches out to me, I feel like, I need to tend to them. Like I, I had a client texting me at 11 p.m. last night and I start messaging people right away at, at 5 a.m. And it's sometimes I'm like, whoa, I don't even feel like I have, I might have like an hour to me and my, me and my significant other, but other than that, you know, it's, uh, it just feels constant, if that makes sense. So, so you made it constant for you. You have not designed any boundaries for yourself. Uh, 11 p.m., 5 a.m., I think many of us have been there, done that. Um, and it's later on you understand that what you did was totally foolish because you are compromising on your health and well-being, right? You're exhausted. And you yourself know when you feel good, you're more productive. So I think what I would challenge you to do is to take a hard look at your schedule and use your calendar to say, okay, this is my sleep time. I'm going to block maybe 11 to 5 a.m. in the morning is my sleep time. And I promise my phone will be outside my bedroom. So there's no notification coming on your phone to kind of distract you or you tempt you to go take a look. Who is it, right? We all get tempted. So that would be the first thing I would challenge you to do. And second, if martial arts is your something that that's your career, your job, and something you're passionate about, then structure it. It's martial arts from 9 a.m. till 4 p.m., whatever your schedule is, just focus on that. And in between, take breaks. Don't forget to eat. Don't forget to take breaks. I mean, there's research that shows after every 90 minutes, we should be taking at least a 20-minute break so the brain gets to recharge and refocus. So there are simple strategies that you can implement. And slowly, you can get to where you want to be that you're not exhausted. So sleep is extremely important. Exercise is extremely important. Eating right is extremely important. So these are the three things you can do for your physical energy, right? Um, we try to put premium fuel in our cars. And when the car doesn't function, we go take it for a maintenance check. 
we don't do that for ourselves, right? There's no annual maintenance. But what I would challenge you to do is to have that maintenance every day as part of your daily routine. So physical is one thing. Uh, then the framework that I refer to in the book, as I mentioned earlier on, I talk about physical, I talk about mental, and I talk about emotional well-being. So there's a well-being pyramid that I talk about. So if you're good with your physical, work on your emotional well-being, which is um, having positive thoughts. Don't, I don't think that's a challenge for you. Uh, you're keeping yourself upbeat, but spending time with friends and colleagues. Um, you know, you are on your own working right now, um, but you are with doing martial arts. So you see a lot of people, you see clients, but when you're overstressed, when you're exhausted, it's important to see your friends uh, and colleagues. Spend time with others. It kind of, uh, kind of releases uh, the stress out of you. It's cathartic. And uh, there's a lot of research that talks about the value of beating loneliness by meeting people. Um, when it comes to mental focus, and I think you have a challenge there where you are constantly on, you have not put in specific boundaries that I'm going to focus on this, then I'm going to take a break, then I'd work on this. So you have not chunked your calendar into those little areas. You're, you're in a free flow. So I think um, by just taking a look at your calendar, what you do, identifying where the problem is, you can definitely do some little improvement slowly step by step yeah no i definitely need to do that because and and uh it's the i even have the urge too. i that that little ding that little ding will go off in my in my phone i'm like oh i'm like fight i'm like trying to fight not turn touching it you know turn them off <laughs> that's probably a good yeah that's that's a good call don't let the phone call you you have to call the phone, right? It's technology is, you're, you're still the master. You don't have to be the servant of technology. So, I like that. So, so just keep the phone out of, out of your room. Even if we put it on silent, it's a distractor. Even if you put it in a pocket, it's still a distractor. The best thing is out of sight, out of mind. Simple enough. <laughs> yes. I mean, how did we function before the phone came in our hands? Right? The world didn't stop. We were still connected with people. Uh, I think we just gotten habituated with it. It's become an extension of our appendages, right? It's become an extension of our hands these days. And we all are guilty for that. It's just not you or I, I'm equally guilty. Uh, unless you intentionally try to change yourself. Again, I'll go back to if your pain is severe, you will do all it takes. You know, we all hate bad medicines, bad tasting medicines, but we take it when we have to. So it just depends on the severity of your pain. If your pain is significant, you will do everything it takes. So Great, don't well, go, go to that extreme. Fix yourself before you get to that extreme. All right. Well, and I'll give you an update on it the next time I, I reach <laughs> sure. out to you. And Another thing with, with your book is you talk about how people dread Mondays. I mean, they just, they, they dread it. They do not want it to, to come to fruition or happen. Uh, how do you think you can get people to the point where they don't dread it? I would say everybody dreads. I think some do just because uh, they are either in the right, wrong job uh, in the wrong organization. Uh, they're not doing what they love. I mean, if you talk to leaders or people who just love their work, it's like going, going for or going to a play date for them. 
So they, they look forward to that Monday coming up. So it just depends. Um, it's an alert saying that you probably something about that job is not good for them. So I think what I would suggest is if you're dreading Monday mornings, take a hard look. Why are you dreading Monday mornings? Is it to do with the work you do? Is it to do with the workplace culture, your peers, your boss? What is it that is causing you that in, a, you know, in your stomach? What do you feel in your gut? And once you identify that, then you can treat it as a problem to, to solve. Uh, because unless you figure out what the diagnosis is, you cannot have a treatment, right? Yeah. Uh, so urge them to figure out what is causing them the problem. And, and if it is the job, if it is the culture of the company, then they just have to take a big call. And that goes back to your first question, make a change, which is hard. But you, you weigh out the pros and cons. Would you rather not go to work or feel your feel feel terrible about every Monday morning, which are several Mondays in the entire year, in your entire lifetime? Or would you just take a stand now and say, hey, I'm going to fix it. So I enjoy all the Mondays. It's like Monday blues, right? Or, or even sun, come Sunday, we all start feeling, oh my God, I have to go to work. Another thing I've noticed when we, why we dread Monday mornings, and I can give you my example, there used to be um, some meetings, which were some stressful meetings to go through every Monday morning. So the anticipation of it itself would make you uh, anxious about it. Oh my God, I have this meeting on eight in the morning, on Monday, eight in the morning next day. So because of that, you screw up your weekend as well. So I would urge um, organizations to not hold those big meetings or those stressful meetings on Mondays. I think that's a simple thing to change um, and move them to a Tuesday or Wednesday. I think they will notice a big difference um, in their employee population because we all dread Monday mornings because we have something due that day or we have to, you know, give a report out or something. That's a good call. I never thought about that. Uh, I guess my, my company does meetings on Wednesdays. Um, maybe that's you why. You have that cushion, right? So you're yeah. not uh, worrying about it the entire weekend. Yeah, that's true. So. Now, a little bit out, outside of the workplace, I kind of want to talk about you know relationships and how this kind of ties into relationships. I mean, how many divorces or, or breakups do you think might occur from burnout in life or in the workplace? So if you look at the statistics on burnout itself, uh, almost 50% of the people would say they're burned out. Now, the definitions of burnout vary, uh, but if you have to go by the universal definition of burnout, it is uh, chronic stress over prolonged periods of time, which could last for months and years at a stretch. And it could be so significant that sometimes burnout can lead into suicidal attempts as well. So that's the gamut, starting from simple stress to extreme situations where it leads to depression and suicide. Now, along its journey, of course, um, you have people that are being affected by your burnout. Uh, could be at work, could be at home. We all carry work to our home, right? That meeting, there's always a spillover. So burnout does impact relationships. So uh, just, just think about it. A, you're preoccupied with work. Our interactions may not be as... Um, um, you're not present, right? They're not, you're not fully present in that conversation. You're thinking about what, why I'm talking about you uh, or talking with you. So, so that's the start of it. Two, 
people do not take vacation time off these days because we believe if we take vacation, our vacations, we won't look as committed to our careers. But what research shows that people who do take vacations are more promotable. They have found that those people get promoted more. So maybe it goes back to when you're refreshed and recharged, you're able to produce a lot more than when you're all the time exhausted. Um, so you're not taking your family out on vacation. You're not spending time with them. So yes, marriages get affected. Children, relationship with children gets strained. When you're constantly busy with work, I mean, we talk about work-life integration, and that's a great concept. But if you think about it, when you're bringing work home all the time, then you're cut, that cuts through your family time. So you're not present. You're not available for children. We all have done that, you know, having teleconferences in the evenings. It cuts through your dinner time. It cuts through your family times. But you continue doing that because you think work is more important. And you keep telling your children, can you be quiet? I'm going to call. Uh, I'll come and talk to you later. The kid comes with the homework and say, yeah, shoo, I'll come, I'll come. Let me focus on this meeting. So you can imagine when you're not with that person, the kind of impact it's having. Slowly your children will stop coming to you. Oh, mom or dad are always busy on the phone or in a meeting. Let me not go. Um, your spouse would say, oh yeah, we're not going to be going to vacations because he or she is going to be busy with work. So slowly those things add up. And yes, data does show there's rising divorce rates. Uh, children are getting into um, miscreant activities uh, because of family time getting diluted. Communication channels are disrupted. They're broken. We really don't know what's happening in each other's lives. So I, I, I cannot say the divorce rates high just because of burnout. It's a host of factors that cause uh, but marital relationships do get impacted. Um, there's ample research out to, sh to show how work stress can cause that. Yeah, and you talk about there being that spillover, which uh, I've definitely experienced is, is there a way that you can kind of have it sp spill over elsewhere? Like, could you get it somehow out of the house? Like, uh, how would you avoid that happening? And I'm sure there's going to be some at all times. I mean, uh, once in a while. I mean, uh, you know, some preoccupation, you cannot really separate. You can't say that I'm entering my house and I forget about work. Um, not going to happen. But what can happen is if you are deliberate about it and tell yourself, you know, it's, it's all about what we tell our brains, right? Um, if I tell my brain, oh my God, I have to prepare for that meeting, I have to prepare for that meeting, then yes, it's going to be nagging in my head. But if I tell, Andrew, let's spark that meeting for now, focus on what you have to do right now. So kind of put a wall between work and home or when you reach home and say, I'm going to be just with my family now. So some of the strategies that I've learned from leaders who, who have avoided getting burned out is say, uh, they tell that when I'm driving back from work in the evenings, I tell myself, I'm not going to think about it. So the minute you enter the, your, your front door, you are fully present with what's going on at that moment in the house. People call it mindfulness, which is about being aware, being in the present moment rather than being in some other moment. So, so mindfulness just brings you to focus at, on the now. And that's what, if we can train ourselves, train our mind to say, I'm going to focus on this, a lot of the worries and a lot of the spillovers can be avoided. Yeah. So if you try it, you won't buy it. Um, mindfulness for me was, yeah, it's a nice concept. But when, once I started trying it, it really made a difference.
you can forget anything and everything behind. So you're just in the now. And I'm sure a big part of it is trying to remember that, you know, everything, if you hold off on thinking about or doing whatever it is that you thought you needed to do when you got home from work, uh, the building's not going to explode. Like you're going to be okay. Correct. Correct. The company is not going to stop functioning without you. You know, uh, oftentimes we feel we are so important. We give that badge of honor to ourselves that we work so hard. Oh, I'm dialed in late in the nights, in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, I, I'm so important for the functioning of this company, but you would realize that you're not. If one day you don't respond to email, the issue would just go to somebody else or the issue would dissolve on its own. Um, so I think we have to learn to let go. It's we who are holding it, right? It's, it's, it's our doing. We are saying the work is so important or I have to do this, that or the other. But if we learn to let go, I'm sure stresses can be dissolved. Yeah, I remember one time I, uh, I heard something a little bit similar and I was like, oh, I'm going to try that. So I was driving home one day and I had a client reach out to me who needed something uh, in that moment and I was just about to go inside. So I decided to stay in my car <laughs> and I had the Wi-Fi connected to my computer uh, in front of my house. So I sat there in my car for like 20, 30 minutes, um, you know, finishing it up in there and I got inside and my girlfriend was like, I looked outside and you were sitting in your car for 30 minutes. What were you doing in your car? And I was like, I was trying to like avoid doing this inside. Um, so I don't know if you'd recommend that or. Um, if, I think you were just uh, in a dilemma. You, you didn't want to do it, but yet you wanted to do it. Um, so what I would recommend is when you switch off, you switch off. When you say that you're not going to work on something, you have to remain committed to that you have to be disciplined about that uh, because taking breaks is extremely extremely important and and it's not me who's saying that it's science that's telling all of us that our bodies are like machines right machines get overheated when you dry i mean you run your grinder for more than uh, i think two three minutes it also stalls right you have to reset it to make it work so our bodies are no different we are machines. So unless we give time to uh, cool down, as in machines, we are going to burn out. Um, so that's extremely, extremely important. I mean, do all the work you want, but give time to resting in between. Is all I'll say. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience and your story with us. Uh, I know that once again, they can find burnout on Amazon, right? And then where can we find you? I don't know if you have a page for when you have events going on or your Instagram, I guess, where can we follow you at? I think LinkedIn is the best place um, to see what's going on. Uh, and I'll make sure I post all my events out there. So, so don't forget to check me out there. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Chicago Hustle with your host, Edward Terrace. If you or someone you know would like to share their story on our podcast, you can head over to Instagram at the Chicago Hustle and fill out the link in our bio. To follow my Chicago Hustle, you can head over to Instagram at Edward Terrace along with my weekly vlog on YouTube.